Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you were. First Kings chapter number 19 is where we're going to be here in a few moments. First Kings chapter number 19. But I want you to back up for just a few moments because we see some things that I pray will give us some insight tonight and uh, help us concerning this subject matter of the mind. This subject matter of the mind. And as you think about the mind, that there, there's a lot that we're going to deal with over the next, uh, I would say, 12 to 14 weeks. And uh, I truly do want to encourage you because I believe many Christians, as you think about the battle that we are facing every single day, and we begin to acknowledge that there is an enemy out there. We, we are aware of that. The devil is constantly trying to attack uh, but in many of our lives, if we're not careful, we're losing uh, a greater battle to ourselves in the way that we're thinking, the way we approach things, and the neglect that we have towards our Lord and Savior sometimes. And uh, it starts in the mind, and you begin to think about the mind tonight. And for many of us, when I say us, I'm talking about people, and I'm talking about Christians this evening especially, we begin to lose the battle of the mind because we're controlled by so many things of this world. We're controlled by our circumstances. We're controlled by people. We're controlled by surroundings. We're controlled or swayed by all of these many things. And if we're not careful and we don't yield our minds to the Lord, then we begin to realize that we're losing this battle of the mind. And tonight we're going to share over the next 12 to 14 weeks statistics of things. And we're going to share passages of scripture because I think sometimes whenever we deal with this subject matter of the mind, for many of us, we have the, the basic answers that we want to share, right? We have the answers of, well, just pray about it. Well, just read your Bible. Well, just, well, they're, they're, those are, those are great things to share. But as you begin to think about sometimes when people are asking for help, those are the answers we share because we truly don't want to have that conversation. If someone begins to address that situation in their own life and they come to you and they're really struggling with some things. They're battling some things. They're, they're going through what we would consider a difficult season and they're about to make a, a very dangerous decision sometimes. And so someone approaches you and because it is out of your comfort zone, you just make the statement, well, just pray. Well, just maybe spend some time reading your Bible. Instead of really coming to an understanding of what they're going through and why they're going through it. And so as you come to the book of 1 Kings, we're going to look at many different people in Scripture. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture concerning the mind as a whole. You know, there was a poem that was written many years ago, and there was also a preacher that we will address here in a few moments that the Lord began to deal with and a couple of others. And this one specific poem kind of gives some insight into the battle that we're losing with the mind. We've said this before many, many times, but before we ever act upon something, oftentimes we've already allowed it to process through our mind and we've thought on it. You know that as you go and you look at statistics tonight, on average, there are 130 suicides every single day. It's a high statistic. It's a lot of people. As you think about the U.S., the U.S. ranks 23rd alone out of 178 countries. And more than 34% of people battle depression or anxiety every single day of their lives. That is the nation that we are living in. That is the day and age that we are living in right this very moment. That tells me right then and there the struggle that is, is being uh, dealt with and, and all of the anxiety and all of the depression and all that, it is a real thing. 
It is something that people are really struggling with. The, the young lady that has cut my hair many, many times as she has shared her past and she is, is trying to share her past because she wants it to be something that sheds light that there is hope for other people. She is a recovering addict and she began to talk about that deep, deep time in depression and where she was really struggling and she was really going through it and now she was able to be brought out of that and now she was doing much, much better. And there are many people that are going through that on a daily basis. And I shared a little bit last week about the many people that I come in contact with on a daily and sometimes weekly basis that I can tell they're going through something. And one thing that we can do, we don't have all the answers sometimes. They're going to ask, why is this going on? And why is this happening? And why am I having to go through this? And you don't always know, but you have hope in the one who does have the answers. And they might just need a Christian to listen to them and point them to Jesus. And so as you think about the 130 people alone that commit suicide today, what would have changed if just one Christian would have just been an ear listening and pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ? You never know the difference you can make. The poem that was written many years ago was a poem entitled, If. It says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated. Don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make your dreams, your master, if you can think and not make your thoughts, your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, And treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make traps for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it in one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, If you can force your heart and nerve to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distant run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And this poem was very famous for a season and it is still quoted by many because it gives some insight into helping us to understand that for many of us, we are controlled by our perspective of what our circumstances are, our problems, people, and many of the things that we begin to look at begin to sway us left and right. For many Christians, as you begin to discuss the word of God, and you're going to see this here in a few moments, this exact thing that we are talking about. Because in 1 Kings chapter number 18, you're familiar with the passage of scripture. You're familiar with what everything is going on. In verse number 38, the Bible says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Imagine for just a moment the scene that begins to unfold in chapter number 18. 
I believe for many of us, we would say this is one of those scenes that if there was ever a documentary made that we could see these things taking place. If there's ever going to be a conversation that we have when we get to heaven, we're going to want to ask some questions about this. This would be one of those stories, one of those passages that we want to address. Verse number 39, the Bible goes on in the middle and says, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. I mean, notice what is taking place here. An amazing uh, uh, turn of events begins to unfold before our very eyes. And Elijah is up on the mountaintop here for a few moments. But then all of a sudden, something changes. Chapter number 19, notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. Elijah here. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Have you ever been in a situation where you experienced uh, an overwhelming amount of joy? Happiness, a thrill, adrenaline rush, a victory, only to find yourself maybe a day or two later, you were discouraged. You were depressed. Uh, you were you were wanting more satisfaction or or something happened and you were just beginning to think on it and you may have had the thought cross your mind there has to be more than this or whatever the case might have been but you were struggling that day it has been said that in the christian life many of the greatest victories that we have in life what follows next is satan's attacks and discouragement Because Satan loves to attack whenever we are on that spiritual high and we are on that mountaintop experience. And as we begin to come down, we're emotionally drained. We're spiritually drained. We're physically drained. We're we're, we're drained to the core. And as soon as we drain ourselves, all of a sudden we leave a crack in the door. And all of a sudden Satan tries to creep in and he begins to creep in by discouraging sometimes. As you notice what is taking place in chapter number 18, you know that this is one of those passages of Scripture that is a very powerful passage. It is one that, as you begin to uh, talk about everything, it's very exciting. Uh, There's so much adrenaline as you read it, and you begin to think about the turn of events. And just a couple of months ago, we were here, and you begin to think about some of the strong statements that are made in chapter number 18. Notice these statements, if you would, for just a moment concerning Elijah. He goes on in verse 21 and he says, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Verse number 25, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one and call on the name of your gods. All in that one verse, those two strong statements. Verse 30, Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Verse 36, right at the very end, it says, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. Verse 39, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Chapter number 19, verse number 4, right in the middle of it, he says, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life away. Doesn't add up. Think about all of those powerful statements and think about all of the, 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 the thrill of what he is able to see. 
And then you fast forward for just a few moments. And in chapter number 19, he's asking for his life to be taken away. As you come to chapter number 19, the first four verses that we will deal with tonight begins to give some insight into why many Christians lose the spiritual battle of the mind. Why is it that we are serving the Lord so faithfully and even in the midst of serving the Lord faithfully, sometimes we come into the house of God and we put on the smile, but deep within we're struggling. Why is it that that even in the midst of being faithful to the Lord's house or even maybe spending time in God's word and spending time in prayer, that the struggle of the mind is always present. And for many Christians, we begin to lose the battlefield and the war on that battlefield concerning the mind. Why is that? And so notice with me tonight, we won't get very far this evening because there's so much that we're going to be dealing with. But notice with me, number one tonight, the timing of discouragement. The timing of discouragement. Chapter number 18 begins to paint a picture for us. That picture is a a picture of a a battle that is about to be waged. And as that battle is waged, you begin to see Elijah the prophet making such strong statements as he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Verse 25 again, he says, Choose you one. Call on the name of your God. As you continue reading on in verse number 30, Come near unto me. In verse number 36, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. He goes on and you begin to see the the portrait being painted and you're wondering if you're reading this passage of scripture for the very first time, then up until verse number 38, you are on the edge of your seat because you want to know what is going to happen. And then verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell. And in that moment, as you begin to think about everything that is going on, it's as though you get excited about it. I mean, for just a moment, if you were thinking with me, if I were to bring all of the children in here tonight, and I were to have them seated, and I were to say, we're going to read a a passage of Scripture. And that as I was reading this passage of Scripture, you would have kids that their eyes were glued to me as they're hanging on because they want to know, is there going to be fire that falls? Who's going to win this battle? And so verse 38 gives us that insight. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Verse 39, notice this very strong and powerful statement that sometimes we begin to miss. Notice what it says. And when all the people saw it. Sometimes we don't place the emphasis that needs to be placed on that word all. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say a few. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even say Elijah. The Bible says, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, As we were in evening school, the Bible last night, we were talking about this, but these words that we find in scripture, like the word and, and like the word they, and like the word all, and all of these key words are some of the most important words sometimes that we just kind of jump right over. But they give so much background into everything that is going on. And so as you come to chapter number 19, you're thinking, man, what a victory. Elijah's on the mountaintop. There's nothing that can go wrong. Well, I wish that were the case. But the Bible says in verse number one, and Ahab told Jezebel. Now, I love this right here. I love this because as you begin to think about Scripture, I don't know about you, but whenever I read Scripture, I begin to think about how would this go if this was me in this situation coming back to Miss Kelly? 
You know, you, you, you're, 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 you, you've been sent to win a battle. You've been sent to, to, to war. You've been sent to do all of this. And so this might have been how this possible conversation might have gone. Jezebel, my age, she sees Ahab walk in. How'd it go today? What happened? Did the, the fire consume the altar? And he might just look at her and say, yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Way to go, honey. That will show them pesky prophets and all those people. And hey, you don't have to. Did you get rid of that one nut? And he might just look at her and say, well, no, not not completely. And she might ask the question why. And he he'll, he just might say, you know, the fire did fall. Um, and I don't know how to say this, but um, it, it was the God of heaven. That, that made the, the fire fall and not the God of Baal. And, and, and I also need to tell you that 450 prophets of Baal are now dead. And at this moment, as she's hearing all of this, you can begin to think and you can imagine all of the anger that is peaking up. Because notice what the Bible says in these first couple of verses. And Ahab told Jezebel that all that Elijah had done, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. So the first four verses begin to give us some insight here. You see, a couple of things to note about Elijah here. The first thing that we begin to notice about Elijah is he had a a long struggle here. This wasn't an easy thing. Note for just a few moments that, that at one point in time, Elijah had stood before Ahab and said that because of the king's idolatry, there would be no rain in Israel. After announcing this, he would have to flee for his life, and Ahab would want to kill him, and he blamed Elijah for the drought. And you begin to see that that one little thing that we begin to understand begins to reveal that the hard things in life and the the right things in life and the good things in life don't always come as easy or as soon as we would want them to. It takes work. The Christian life takes work. Uh, the, the challenges that are presented take work. For just a few moments, as you think about that, the, those long-term efforts as they begin to drain us and think about everything Elijah's been through. He begins to proclaim that. Then he begins to say concerning in chapter number 18, choose you one concerning everything that's going to go on. And as you begin to think about what takes place, he's drained. It took work. He didn't just show up one day and all of a sudden it happened. You think about tonight, some of the people that I have written on here that are on my heart for the parents that are raising your children in this world, right? This very, it's a hard thing and it might take work, but it's necessary and it's good for the marriage that just wants to throw in the towel. It takes work, but it's necessary. Or the Sunday school teacher that's trying to reach those young people or, or for the Sunday school teacher that's trying to grow that class. It takes work, but it is worth it. 
There's just something special about a young person or just an individual in general who is sitting in under, uh, under the teaching of a Sunday school teacher that is being faithful to the Word, and they walk out encouraged and challenged and wanting to get back into the Word of God. But it takes work. For the pastor who is preaching in this day and age to a dying church, it takes work, but it is necessary. The missionary that's trying to reach a, uh, reach a mission field, and there's so many challenges presented, and it just seems like they could just throw in the towel and say, it's not worth it any longer. It's worth it. You see, there's, there's challenges that will always be presented. And one of the dangers in the Christian life and in life in general is that for many of us, as soon as we don't see those immediate results, we just want to stop. You know how we know this? Because we have little small challenges presented for us. There are many times whenever people are saying, all right, I'm on the journey to lose weight and get in shape. Ten days later, you step on the scale and you haven't seen it drop down 15 pounds. And so you say, well, I'm not doing this anymore. The last ten days was miserable. Right? And you begin to get mad about it because you've been stuffing your face with with lettuce. Right? Drinking water. And all of these many things, and you're trying to do what's right, but it doesn't seem like you're seeing the results that you want to see. So you just say, I ain't doing that no more. You put away money for savings, you're trying to pay off debt, and, and it seems like every time you pay off debt, there's some interest that begins to put, 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 put back on it. You say, well, I'm paying $100, but every time I pay $100, $75 is put back on it. I'm not getting anywhere. So what do you do? You just say, I'm done with that. And we see all of these small examples throughout. And see, one of the dangers in the Christian life is that we make that statement, why not just give up? Notice what he says in verse 4. The very end, he says, it is enough now. It's enough now. Why did he say that? Notice what it said in verse number 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, more also What? If I make not thy life is the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. We're going to see here in a few moments that he begins to take his eyes off of every blessings of God within his life. And he begins to look at the circumstances within his life. The problems in his life. The people in his life. As you begin to think about that statement in verse number four, it is enough now. Why continue going on? You see, sometimes this might be regarding a a physical effort that you've been putting forth. It might be a a new hobby. I know that whenever I first started playing golf, I wanted to quit golf as soon as I started because I couldn't hit the ball. And it became so frustrating and I kept getting mad about it and all of these. It might be a new hobby sometimes. It might be a, a challenging event that you're trying to reach or a goal financially. But the sad reality is sometimes those things we might get frustrated with about it. What about the ones that take it a little bit further? The ones that it might cost someone their life. It might cost someone their future and they might just quit on everything and say, you know what, I'm done with God, I'm done with the church, I'm done with God's people, I'm done with this book, I'm just right, I don't care anymore. You begin to wonder. You see, there was an individual that was dealing with some of these things himself and his name was Robert Murray, if you would. This gentleman died before he was 30, and he didn't take care of himself at all. As a matter of fact, he didn't take care of himself physically. He didn't take care of himself spiritually. He didn't take care of himself emotionally. And nowhere did you find, whenever you began to study his life, that he took care of himself. He just went, 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 went. And this is what he had to say as he's laying on his deathbed, and he's talking to one of his closest friends. 
He said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Now I've killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. And you see, for many of us, we go, 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 go. And we try to cloud out all the problems in life. We try to go because we think we can handle these things until there comes a day when we realize we cannot. All the while, there's a God in heaven who loves us. He's saying, you don't have to carry that burden alone. You're never meant to carry that burden. That financial struggle you're facing, that marital problem you're facing, that child that you've been burdened for, that situation that you're going through, all of the many things that are presented, you think you have all the solutions, you think you can fix these things, but you cannot. But there's a God in heaven who can. And as you begin to think about that statement, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Now I've killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. I believe it begins to put into perspective exactly what is being said in Mark 6, verse 31, when it says, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and notice these next words, and rest a while. Because there is something special about physical rest and spiritual rest and rest in every area of our lives. There's something special about being able to get alone and understand that there is a God in heaven that just desires to give us the physical, the emotional, the the, the, the spiritual rest that we are needing in these moments as we serve him. As you think about this tonight, maybe you're there. You see, not only did he have a, a long or if you were to say it, a struggle But he also had a mountaintop experience in chapter number 18 that began to drain him completely. Every single time that we have guest preachers that will come in, I always ask them for advice. And I will always say, whether it's advice about the church or just from a a pastor's perspective or just ministry in general. And for the first couple of years, I began to, to get some of the same answers over and over. And there were some preachers who would would begin to tell me this, and we finally started doing this about two years ago. But they would begin to offer some insight into maybe the ministry or some specific things about the the church that might be a, a blessing or a help or whatever the case might be. But then they would always begin to offer some insight into the ministry side concerning the minister and their family. And they would always say this, listen, in the summertime or whenever you can, take some time away. Get 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 about thirteen days, fourteen days, completely just alone, so you can begin to refresh and be able to get back on fire and begin to get a fresh vision of some things. And pick some Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, whenever you don't always have to miss church, but try to get away and be, refresh yourself and spend some time with your family and, and spend some time alone with the Lord. Because if you're just going to go, you will burn out. And I didn't quite understand all that until it was one of those times whenever we finally were coming to a place where we were going, 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 and we were burning out. And so we finally made the decision to go and to, to book that, that 13 days and say, we're going to be gone 13 days, only missing one Sunday in between, but still gone 13 days. And while we were on that first week, I found myself refreshed because I wasn't studying for Sunday. You see, I didn't have to preach. I just get to be ministered to that week. I was able to set that time aside and be able to realize that there is truly something about being burnt out. You see, as I began to think about that, I got a hold of a couple of books that have been great resources for me concerning this and this one subject of burnout, if you would. And and for many Christians, if we're not careful, we burn ourselves out. And the convicting statement that was made was this. You can't minister unto people if you're not ministered unto yourself. 
And I began to realize that for much of my time, there was a, a gap in a season, if you would, where all I was doing was preparing for the feeding of the church. But I had neglected the times in which I was just saying, Lord, I'm not looking for anything except for you to feed me. And I began to realize that there truly was something to this. And there was something to being fed and being helped in all of this. And notice some individuals, if you would, that began to get discouraged and defeated and then led to depression that we read about in Scripture. Notice for just a moment, as we made reference to him last week, Jonah for a minute. On a mountaintop experience, at least in our eyes. Imagine for just a moment that as a church, we began to pray that God would send revival. And so he does. And instead of rejoicing... We begin to gripe and say, you know what, Lord, we knew Clarksville was wicked and we knew the people were wicked and we knew you would send revival. Why did it take you so long? Why did this have to happen like this? Why, why, why haven't you done this long? We've been having to deal with all of these problems, all of the crime and all of the, the people and all of these many things. Notice what Jonah says. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life form from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. All after he accused God of being a gracious and merciful God. How dare the Lord? Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verse 13, the Bible says, Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am, I, I am not able to bear all of this people alone. I'm griping about the people. Because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. David, think about everything that he was going through and the discouragement that he entered into in Psalm 42. We're given some insight as he says, Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan of the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar. Think about, for just a moment, Jeremiah. As Jeremiah began to struggle and notice the very first words that he goes on to say in chapter number 20, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Imagine for just a moment, you say, oh, I hate those words and being able to hear all that. John Wesley, one year after his victorious ministry at a major meeting, became depressed and doubtful. As a matter of fact, he got so depressed and doubtful that after all of what he had seen, he uttered these words, I am not a Christian. Discouraged and defeated. Wesley rode one quarter of a million miles on a horseback. He preached over 40,000 sermons, and it is said that he saw over 100,000 professions of faith. Many of you know the Prince of Preachers, supposedly Charles Spurgeon, battled depression himself. He would say these words, Who am I to lead so great a multitude? I am nothing. Why? Because at some of the greatest mountaintop experiences... We find this to be true, that we're still flesh. And Scripture begins to help us to understand that we need our God. You see, if you've walked through the doors of the church tonight and you think the problems that you're facing, you can handle them on your own, you're wrong. You think the people that are causing you to be discouraged, that you can handle them, you're wrong. 
Uh, you think the, 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 the problems that are presented concerning your circumstances that you can navigate around them and that they will come to an end. You're wrong. The worries that you have and everything concerning going, going, going and, and never stopping to rejoice in the blessings of God. You're wrong. Notice, if you would, chapter number 19, verse 1 on down again. The Bible says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So she is aware of everything. Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as thy life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he goes on to pray what we would categorize as one of the most unwise prayers in all of Scripture. There is something to praying unwise prayers when we get discouraged and defeated and depressed, isn't there? We begin to say things that we truly don't mean, but our mind is not right because we have not yielded it to the Lord and we have lost the battle. The, the, the Sunday school teacher, because they're discouraged, begins to talk and have their own little pity party and say, I'm just a junkie teacher. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. The, the, the preacher gets done and preaching a message and just says, you know what? That was the worst message ever. I should just throw in the towel and be done with it. The, the parent has a child that gets mad at that parent. And one night they're sitting on the couch and they're thinking, I'm the worst parent of all. I don't even know why the Lord would bless me with these beautiful children. Why? Because we've lost a, a battle to the mind. And as we've already mentioned, there comes those times when there are some people who lose the battle to the mind, but they end up taking their own life. 130 people a day. As you think about the struggle of the mind, you might be here tonight, and I say in a room like this, there was a statistic that was just put out just the other day that was saying one in ten people battle depression within a congregation or within a room. And on a Sunday, just the last couple of Sundays, we've been in the 200 range and pushing over that. And so as you begin to think about one in 10 people, you begin to think about 10% of that congregation, 20 people sitting in a congregation and they're battling depression and going through things and thinking bad thoughts and, and struggling with this and wondering why they should keep going. And so notice with me a couple of things that we see, because next week we're going to see some tools of how we can combat this. But tonight we must acknowledge the timing of discouragement in our own lives, and we must come to a place where we are able to combat this and understand when we are discouraged. You see, because every single one of us is guilty of this at certain times. Notice some things that you begin to see in his life specifically. Notice what the Bible says in verse number four in the very first statement. But he himself went a day's journey. We begin to see fatigue here. Fatigue. Now think about this. He was drained physically. He went through Mount Carmel, the, the conflict there. He began to go 20 miles, had a little bit of food. And when you begin to think about this, when you're functioning on very little, you might get discouraged. And all of a sudden you begin to get weary and you begin to not think properly and you make poor decisions and you say things. And all of the sudden he was battling fatigue. He was battling emotions. Elijah, as you think about this right here, notice what he says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and you begin to think about the emotional roller coaster he's just been on. I imagine for a few moments as you go all the way back to chapter number 18 and some of these statements, I don't believe that as you think about this statement right here in verse number 21, I don't believe that Elijah came unto all the people and said it this way. 
how long are you going to hope? How long, you know? I mean, it don't matter to me, but how long? I don't think that's how he said it. I can sense the, the seriousness. How long halt ye between two opinions? I envision a, a father that's trying to get the attention of a child, and they're trying to get their attention. They're saying, hey, listen to me for a moment. Pay attention to these words here. How long halt ye between two opinions? He then goes on and says these words, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, that I've done all of these things at thy word. You go and you study the life of Moses and you study the life of Jeremiah and you study the life of David. These were very passionate people. The emotional roller coaster that they are battling here. Think for just a few moments and that one situation that you ran into. Maybe it was a, a day when you were, you were, I mean, you were winning the battle. You were having a great day. Everything was going right. And all of a sudden, someone walks up to you and says, hey, I just want to let you know so-and-so has said something about you. You're thinking, oh, what? And all of a sudden, you realize in that moment that it was someone that you didn't think would say something about you. Imagine the emotional roller coaster. In that moment, you want to say, well, fine, I'm not going to pour into them anymore. I'm not going to encourage them anymore. Imagine for just a moment, if you would, you're going through and you're, you're, you're beginning to, to, to receive good news left and right. And I think about some of these individuals that we've been praying for for the last couple of years that we know that are battling cancer. And they get a good report at one meeting and they're living on the mountaintop. They still receive some treatment in the very next meeting. They find out that the cancer spread. The emotional roller coaster. And what do they want to say at that moment? They say, I don't want to keep doing all this chemo. I don't want to keep doing all this. The emotions, as you begin to think about the adrenaline that is being no longer there and present. There has to come a time when you spend just that quiet time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. And you get alone because it's in those moments when you're able to, to clear your mind and spend time with the Lord. And no longer are you focused on yourself or your circumstances, but you do less talking and more listening. You have to plan these times. Notice his focus for just a moment. Because in chapter number 19, we see that all of this day's journey took place. As soon as verse number 2, the statement is made, If I make not thy life as thy, the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. When you begin to neglect the blessings of God in your life, the opportunities of God in your life, uh, the, 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 the doors that he opens and all of the memories and all the times when he has revealed his faithfulness to you, when you begin to neglect those things and you're only focused on your problems, your circumstances, and the challenges that are met right before you in that exact moment, you're giving in to that opportunity of depression, discouragement, and defeat taking place. You find this in chapter number 14 of the book of Matthew when Peter looks at the Lord and says, Bid me come unto thee under the water. And what does Peter do? He walks in the water. And then all of a sudden a storm begins to take place. And what does Peter do? Stops looking at the opportunity presented. Stops looking at the blessing of walking on the water of the Lord. He begins to focus on all of the problems around him circumstances that are around him and he falls and the Lord has to rescue him in Philippians four verse number or chapter number four, go with me there and we will close with this this evening tonight. 
Because we ask this question tonight concerning this one battle. What controls your mind? You see, the, the, the problem is going to be present. You're going to see that, that we're going to lose this battle if we are not giving ourselves to allowing the Lord to change our mind and renew our mind and conform our mind to the things of God and making sure that we have the right perspective that no, not always the problems in our lives going to be pleasant and no longer are the, the situations always going to be great and no longer are your children going to obey and no longer... Did I say no longer? Never will your children obey. And you begin to think about everything in life. You, there's going to be situations. But what controls your mind? Because what you give your mind to and the thinking of your mind on will at some point control you. You say, what do you mean? If I were to play some music this evening... We used to play a game in college where we would begin to sing a, a hymn or a song. And we might just do just, just short verse, oh, victory. We'd give it about five minutes, and all of a sudden, one of our friends would go, oh, victory. Why? Because we've got it in their mind. The same thing goes on in this world. If you're going to feed your mind the curse words of this world, the filthiness of this world, the nakedness of this world, you're going to think on those things. And you will lose the battle to the mind. There is something to feeding the spirit and something to feeding the flesh. And so notice, if you would, in Philippians chapter number four, what the Bible says in verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. Notice those two powerful statements that are found right there. Verse number 7 at the very end, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then at the very end of verse number 8, as he begins to give a list, he says, think on these things. And so in that one verse, we ask the question, what controls your mind? Notice these six things concerning that. Within those verses, the statement, be careful for nothing, begins to give a caution concerning your mind. Don't take for granted that you can handle something that you were never intended to handle. Sin that we begin to think on and sin that we think, oh, so-and-so can't handle this, but I can't. God Almighty never intended for the child of God to look at those things or to listen to those things or to talk that way or to act that way or to go those places. And you say, I can handle it. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal to God. All sin is a big deal to God. And you might try to classify which sin you think is important and which sin you think is not important. But all sin is important and should not be conducted. What you look on, what you think on, what you talk about, all of those things, there is a caution. Be careful for nothing. Notice the prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. He goes on with thanksgiving, speaking of praise. He goes on and deals with peace and the peace of God. The purpose, he says, is think on these things. And be like a teacher 
that is trying to get the attention of the class and they're trying to get them to get that one word and they're asking that continuous question and they finally get it and they say, there it is. And so as you read these verses here and you come to the end of verse number eight and he says, think on these things. I don't believe that was a suggestion. That was something that he's saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. There's a purpose behind it. But you don't just hold it to yourself. There's a proclaiming, as he says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. And so we ask that question, what controls your mind? In Elijah's discouragement and depression, we see fatigue, emotions, focus. Notice the final two things, pride. And Jezebel just popped that big moment of his. Chapter number 18, a mountaintop experience. Chapter number 19, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Well, way to put a damper on things, right? You go to bed, a victor, and you wake up, and you're thinking, now I've got to run again. Pride. And then the final thing was this. He was alone. Can I share with you tonight, depression always feeds loneliness, and it feeds off of loneliness. And so when the pastor, when the preacher, when the church member says, hey, you need to be in church, and there's more than one reason to be in the house of God, but this is an important one. You might have walked in the doors of the church. Can I share with you, there have been many days when I've been discouraged, and I walked in the doors of the church, and someone put an arm around me and said, I just want to let you know I appreciate you. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Or share a blessing. And I'll tell you this, it lifted my spirits just like that. Why? Because I wasn't alone. Just this past week, I received a text message from Brother Sean Tulin, who I was just in the middle of my day and doing things, and he just let me know that, hey, pastors want to let you know we're here for you. No, I needed that. In that moment. We're running around like, like chickens with our heads cut off. It was encouraging to, to, to hear and to know that I was being prayed for and that we have people behind us and encouraging. Can I share with you? We need each other. You're fighting a battle. You are not meant to fight that battle alone. Give it to the Lord. And so I close with this this evening. When you get discouraged, depressed, defeated, we have a tendency sometimes to avoid uh, everyone. Here's my encouragement to you. Get some rest. Evaluate your priorities. Get along with the Lord. Commit your goals, your life, and your expectations to the Lord. And keep your focus on the Lord. As you begin to think about the battle of the mind, and we continue walking through this portion of Scripture next week, you're going to see that there are some tools that are passed along to us. And you might be thinking right this very moment, there is no hope. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand this evening, if you were a child of God and you were to acknowledge that you are a child of God, then the same hope that you found in eternity is the same God that you can rest in tonight for your hope. He's still there. He still desires to work in your life. You think about Jonah for a few moments. You think about Moses for a few moments. You think about David for a few moments. God was never unfaithful to them. I shared this last night with our class in Evening School of the Bible, but I came across a a statement that was made concerning the life of Job. Job lost a lot. But at the center of Job's life, he never stopped worshiping because the source and the reason for which he was worshiping never faded. 
it was always God. If you're only worshiping the Lord because your circumstances are good, you're worshiping for the wrong reason. If you're only worshiping God for the blessings that you receive, you're worshiping for the wrong reason. But when you're worshiping Him because He's worthy, that's what it's all about. Lord, we do thank you tonight. Lord, we rejoice in who you are tonight. We thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, I don't know if there are any that are battling a a struggle of the mind, but Lord, may they put their pride aside for just a few moments and realize they weren't meant to battle alone. They weren't meant to be discouraged and, and go through the burdens of life and all the struggles alone. Lord, you desire for us to bear those burdens together. And Lord, that you desire for us to bring them to you. And so, Lord, for the one who's discouraged, encourage them. For the one who's defeated, Lord, bring them out of that pit. Lord, for the one who's depressed right this moment, Lord, bring hope back to their eyes and peace back to their hearts. I pray that you would help us tonight. Guide us and direct us. Fortune, in Jesus' name we pray. 